Section for Indie Musicians. Hello, this is G.E. Shaw, S-I-M-E, Mixar Radio Tonight. And coming up next is Ronnie and Friends. And on today's show, Ronnie will be speaking with their best friend, well-known writer, author, and knows a little bit about the music world. So here we go. This is Ronnie Deshay. Jan Sykes, and she has written several books. Um, I've read a couple of them, and she's actually pretty darn good. (laughs) If you like reading well-written work, then you'll have to go check out her stuff when we're done. But, Jan, I'm so glad you could be here tonight. How are you doing? Oh, it's my pleasure, Ronnie. I'm, I'm doing great, and I'm so excited about this. This is fun. Now, you're down in Texas, correct? I am. Um, I am. I live just north of Dallas in what I call the metro mess. It's just a very highly populated area and, and <laughs> lots of people in traffic. And, and uh, it was quite a culture shock for me moving from such a small, small town in West Texas where the population was less than 6,000 up here oh, to wow. this metro mess. <laughs> it was culture shock. Wow. <laughs> wow yeah my my sister married a minister and so the first oh i don't know 10 or 15 years that they were married they moved quite a bit because he kept changing churches and he ended up in some really small town right and it was really i mean tacoma is not that huge but to go to you know, some of these tiny places where he was at was, like you said, it was culture shock. Just such a <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, it literally used to take me five-minute tops to get from one side of town to the other. And that was if I hit the one red light. <laughs> one red light? <laughs> <laughs> so, needless to say, living up here in uh, close to Dallas and part of Dallas is just... It's very congested and very busy, but it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm liking it. it uh, there's a lot to do and a, a lot of people to meet, a lot of music to hear, and so it's just great. Good. Good. I'm glad. I mean, it's, I, I've been through Texas. I mean, I, I remember I was told when I headed to Oklahoma, you know, the sun is risen, the sun is set, and here I is in Texas yet. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> I'll tell you something, my my most vivid memory of Texas, I don't even know where we were, but we were in Texas, and we stopped at this little tourist trap, it was a little, like a little store, and you walked in, and there was a bunch of glass display cases with local things that people had done, (laughs) and I was walking by and looking into the cases, and I noticed a lot of these freaking ginormous flying things. I think they looked like huge grasshoppers, maybe. I'm thinking they were locusts. But they were, every, and one looking around, and they're on the floor. They're on the shelves. And I said, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I went to the ladies' room, and as I'm pushing open the door, I can hear these bugs being moved along. So I get into the bathroom, and I look down on the floor, and it's like, oh, no way. This is not, I mean, 
my pee literally shot back up into my bladder. Let me tell you. There's like no way I'm sitting down and doing this with these things in here. <laughs> well, I will tell you, there are certain times of the year, and, and this is just a true story, that the, uh, the crickets come through, and the street will literally be black and slick from the cars running over the crickets. That's probably what these things were. They were huge, though. Yeah, yeah. They can be huge. And they jump. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have crickets here, you know, but they're about from the tip of my finger to the first knuckle, second knuckle, maybe. These things are probably six or eight inches long. Well, you know, everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, they were just making themselves right at home, and this lady behind the counter is like, would you ladies like, to, to try one of our ice cream sundaes, and I'm like, no. Huh? <laughs> no, I just no. went out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was my experience in Texas, but it is beautiful. <laughs> now, you, you've lived in Texas all your life? Uh, no, I was actually born in New Mexico. Oh. And lived there until I turned 18. And then I moved to Texas. And that was when you put on the G-string, correct? Um, that was pretty close. <laughs> Actually, I never wore a G-string, but I, I did wear, I mean, it, <laughs> it was the, the time period, we're talking early 70s, um, mid-70s, and the, um, the go-go dancers did wear costumes, but wasn't a G-string, um, usually a midriff top that had some kind of fringe hanging off of it and little mm-hmm. short shorts. <laughs> and white go-go boots. Yes. I, I have a go-go story for you. Um, there, was a lady <laughs> that lived in, there was a lady that lived in Tacoma many, many years ago. Um, and she went by the name of Granny Go-Go. Okay. And this is when I was working at this little strip club downtown Tacoma. And she used to come in. She was bored, I think, and she liked to come in and hang out and talk to our customers, which, you know, none of us had a problem with. She was fun. She was probably 70 or 75, and she'd come in in her little go-go costume, and if the music was right, she'd get up on stage and dance, and I'll tell you what, she was fun to watch. The girl was good. She used to go to the Gallup Fair when the Beach Boys would come and play, and uh-huh. they would invite her up on stage to dance uh, while they were performing. <laughs> and she was just thrilled to do that. It was the highlight of her life. Oh, I and sure. she was just a blast. I went to visit her one time uh, shortly before she died, and she showed me this book that she had that she had written. It was her life story, and it was uh-huh. just full of pictures of her at all ages, you know, doing this. Uh, wow. And, yeah, I mean, the history in that book was just amazing. Well, how cool that she actually did that and put mm-hmm. it down in a book. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. I was never a go-go dancer. I always thought it would have been fun to do that, and I'm so jealous that you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was just, it, it was the time, really. And, and I was, I was so very young and, and freshly away from 
a very strict religious home, and I was determined I was going to do everything that had been forbidden. And so one of the things that I loved, always I loved, was music, and especially live music, but I wasn't old enough to get into the clubs. So there was just this one club who had lost uh, their liquor license for serving to minors, but they had live music, <laughs> and I could go there. And so that's where I learned to go-go dance, and that's also where I met Rick Sykes. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Rick, if that was where you met him. It was. And and in my first book, Flowers and Stone, it the opening scene is, and, and I'll, I'll use character names, because when I wrote these books, I, I never set out in life to be an author. I really didn't. That was never my goal. My, that was my sister's goal. But she always wanted to be a writer. I never, that wasn't my goal. But as life goes and things happen, there was just this big, ginormous story that needed to be told and I woke up one morning and realized that I was the one that was going to have to tell it because I was the only one that was there. I would have to have told the entire thing to someone else to write it. So I, um, I took writing classes and I got busy and started writing. But then when I, when I very first started writing the books, I was writing in first tense, which means like the I and me and you know, mm-hmm. like all personal me, and I couldn't do it because it is such a personal story. So um, I was sitting around with my girlfriends one day and talking about what a struggle I was having, and one of the girls said, well, why don't you just create characters and tell the story through them? And it was like a light bulb moment because that was like, okay, yes. So that's what I did. So when I talk about my books, I talk about Luke Stone and Darlene of Flowers because it's like it's just like an external, it's an extension of me and of Rick Sykes, who um, I named Luke Stone for the book, and Darlene of Flowers was me. <clears throat> so anyway, as Flowers and Stone opens, Darlena is in this club that doesn't serve liquor because she's too young and um, Rick Sykes and his band or Luke Stone and his band come into the club and it causes such a commotion and a stir that Darlena is very drawn and so she trades with another waitress to wait on their table and that's the beginning and that's really how it started that was that was exactly how it started that is such a phenomenal book. I have to say, you and I were talking before the show started. I have such a hard time with anything that even remotely touches on romance. Right. You know, because for the most part, they bore me. Yeah. Um, I don't find them realistic. Uh, right. And I, I'm not criticizing romance authors at all. A lot of them are very, very good. This is just my personal, I guess. Sure. Sure. But I have mm-hmm. to say, and maybe it's because your book was not fictional, it was true. I, I didn't I did not get one moment in while reading Flowers and Stone 
that made me, you know, reach for the barf bag. Not even one. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) I was captivated by it. I was in love with the characters. Um, And everything just felt real to me. Because it is real. Normally, first-person books are often very hard to read because a lot of times the author gets a bit pompous. I agree. And that didn't happen either. And I think that didn't happen because you were writing fictional characters. Right. And and by, by doing that, by using the characters to tell the story through, it allowed me to step back and be a little more subjective and, and just let the story be told (laughs) rather than being in the middle of wallowing around in it. Um, so yeah, and, and it was, um, people ask me how much of the story is fiction and how much is truth. And I tell them that it's 95% truth because, um, there were some scenes in the book and in each book that I wasn't personally present for a conversation. So I had to make up the conversation knowing what happened, but not being there for the conversation. Like, um, uh, for instance, in Flowers and Stone, and you may remember this, when Luke went next door to the other apartment and met with those men that he was doing business with, I was not there. I didn't hear that conversation. So those parts of it are made up because I wasn't there. But every single event in the books did happen. Wow. I am so looking forward to getting to the next book in the series. I just, I have to read through a few to get there, but I just, I I am in love with these characters. I'm in love with your books. So tell us a little bit about Rick. What kind of a person was he? He was very charismatic. He was a very talented human being. He had spent his adult, well, not even adult life, from the time he was 14 years old, he had spent his life making music. He was a road musician. He wrote he wrote music and played music. And at the time I met him, they he had been on the road for about 20 years at that point. He was a lot older than I was. And right, and so he honestly, at the point where I met him, he was burnt out. He wanted out. He wanted off the merry-go-round, but there was no way to get off because all of these other people depended on him for a living. I mean, you know, the the band members had to feed their families. There was there was no way to just say I'm stopping. Right, that was not in him to do that. But he was very burnt out on it. And he had had so many near successes in the business and and then disappointments when a deal would fall through or when a, um, a record deal would be all talked up and then not happen and things like that. Right. So, you know, it, it's a hard business. It really is. It's, it's a very difficult business. And any, any musician out there running up and down the road will will agree because it, it's just it's not easy and you've got to have a love for it you've got to have you've got to have a true passion for it to do it 
you're in it for the money, might as well get out. It's kind of <laughs> like writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can see the similarities, absolutely. So, uh, you know, he was, he was a big guy. He was, he was, uh, he was a tough guy and he had made quite a name for himself and people kind of tiptoed around him or they either loved him or feared him. And, and I think I said that in the first chapter of Flowers and Stone and watching the people react around him, it, it seemed to me that they either loved him or feared him. Or maybe a little of both. But, um, so anyway, he, uh, he just was a very, very talented person and, and honestly didn't even know or maybe even recognize all the talents that he had until life kind of threw a curve and, and everything came to a screeching halt. But, um, yeah, he was just, he was bigger than life, and he was uh, always a leader. He was always the, the one that made the decisions and and that kind of thing. So, I will He's say that <laughs> when he, when he got, when he went on stage and he picked up his guitar, he had the ability to bring the audience in with him and whatever he, he was like, he could manipulate the audience and, and make them feel what he wanted them to feel. He had that gift. Mm. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of him in a nutshell. He was tough. He was mean. Uh, if he had to be, he could also be very gentle and loving. He just sounds amazing. <laughs> I, um, there was, a when I was quite young, I was, oh, I don't know, well, young, 18 or so, um, there was a local band here in town, and I was quite the groupie, and uh-huh. there was one of the guys in the band that I was involved with for a minute or two, and there's just something about, uh, I, I know I'm not the only person that says this, but there's something about a musician Uh especially i am such a sucker for bad boys let me tell you now you put a guitar around the bad boy's neck and i'm i'm just melting on the stage you know yeah that was her yeah exactly that was him exactly i kind of get it i do (laughs) yeah that was him so now and 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 there was there was a, a scene also in flowers and stone where um, and I'm sure you may remember it where he had an altercation with a, a man, and which happened frequently. I mean, you know, you're in the nightclubs, people are drinking, they, they get out of hand, and he just he didn't put up with any nonsense. So, um, but that particular night, it was, it was, it, it, it got very violent. And I, I had no idea what had gone on because I wasn't, I was still, I wasn't, it, this happened in the men's room. But he cut, he cut the man's face because he wouldn't shut up. He wouldn't leave him alone. He wouldn't get out of his face. So he really did kind of mess him up. But, um, you know, it's just that, it's that being that 
person in the public eye, you've got to be something. you got to be something if you're going to do that. Right. And so for him, it just came very natural to be the, the tough guy. Well, and it sounds like he was big enough to pull it off. He was. He most certainly was. <laughs> yeah. I, so, you, can't you know, you have, to, yeah, you have to kind of look at, too, at this scenario of that here I was, so young, and freshly away from such a restrictive growing up religion-based household. And, I mean, this, yeah, this guy, he set me on my heels. And it never, it never stopped. It never stopped. And so the second book, the, the first book, and I don't want to give away the, the story, but I want to, I do want to kind of move into the second book of that the first book ends with Rick being convicted of two bank robberies and sent to prison. And that changed everything. That changed everything. Of course. And so, um, and so then I, I moved, I, that's where I ended. So flower, maybe that's why you like flowers and stone. It didn't have a happy ending. That probably has a lot to do with it because <laughs> it really, I mean, no offense to anybody, but I really just, I don't like those little sweet saccharine happy endings right. where you know the boy gets to be with the girl and they live happily ever after and because they're not real no they're not real they're not real and usually something happens that ensures that they will have this wonderful life like uh, the rich boy and the poor girl and his family uh -huh. doesn't like her because she's poor right. but at the end of the book they decide that they like her, which means now not only can he be with her, but he's not going to be disinherited. So now they're going to have money, and he's going right. to inherit the company, and their life yeah. is just going to be perfect. And yes. that's just yeah, like lose. That just because it's that doesn't happen. That's not real. And so I I get what you're saying. That's that's just not real life. And I think that ultimately in each of us. We do like stories that depict real life more so than fantasy. I think so. I think so, too, because, I mean, you think about some of the, the greatest movies that have ever been made that people have just still love after years and years and years, and usually they're very full of conflict and, and hard times and sometimes death. Yeah. yeah. So I think that we do like true life stories. We really do. And and, um, and so anyway, um, back to the book. So it, it moves. The, the story is told through four separate books. It took four to do it. I thought I was going to tell it all in three, but the third book got absolutely way too long. <laughs> and um, I had to find a place to divide it. <laughs> but this whole journey of, 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 a, of tackling this 
this project and doing it from start to finish has just been life altering for me. Because like I say, it wasn't anything I ever set out to do. The story just had to be told. And for years, when he was still alive, and people would come through our home and through our lives, and I, I can't even count the number of people that would say, someone needs to write your story. And we would agree, yeah, they do. I actually always thought my sister would do it, but she put it right back in my lap and said, no, you got to do it. <laughs> Just like she used to do my homework. She used to put it right back on me and go, no, you got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad she did. I really am. I would take nothing for the journey of doing this. It's been amazing. I can imagine that, yeah. Very, I mean, it would just be so interesting to go back through time and relive some of this again while you're writing. And and I did. I mean, it was actually very therapeutic in, in many ways. And um, I think it was it was very, I think it was the perfect thing to, for me to do to process all of it and to put it down into words and on paper. And, um, and then that kind of allows me to, to move forward in life and, and see what's next. I don't know. Um, I have no idea what's next, but I know that I got this story told and I'm, I, I'm, I love talking about it. I love it when people read it. I love getting reviews and getting, kind words back or if you know if it touches one person then I'm happy and each one of the books carries a different theme and the first book is is just that that daring to take that leap of faith and and go for to go for it just go for it um, because that, that was really what it was and then the second book is all about learning to be positive and, and becoming a positive thinking and acting person in a very negative situation. Right. And, and right. that's for both characters. Now that book for me was quite a challenge to write because I'm writing in back and forth between two places. I'm writing scenes in prison and I'm writing scenes in Texas. And yeah. so it was quite a challenge. The second book is Convict in the Rose, yes? Yes, The Convict in the Rose. And and I'll tell a little quick story about the book cover on that one because it's kind of cool. Um, while Rick was incarcerated, well, let me back up, before he ever went to prison, again, you know, he'd spent his entire life working the road, playing music, and in in the 60s, like I think it was 1964, Willie Nelson and his second wife, Shirley Colley, came to Texas to do a tour, and they did not have a band to back them up. And so a booking agent contacted Rick and said, would you back Willie? And he said, sure. I, I don't know who he is, but okay. <laughs> so they did. They backed him on that tour. And so he got to know him and, and became, you know, somewhat friends. Well, after Rick was incarcerated, at one point, Willie commissioned him to do an album cover for him. 
and it was going to, to be called The Convict in the Rose. And I have all the letters back and forth of them talking about what he wanted, um, how he envisioned it being, and then and so it is just such a cool story. But anyway, so the, the, the book cover of The Convict in the Rose is the actual artwork, some of the artwork that Rick did that was going to be Willie's album cover. The album never was released because about the time they were getting ready to go forward with it was when IRS started looking at Willie. And his attorneys advised him not to have any association with a convict. (laughs) So that album did not get released. And so therefore, all this artwork didn't get used. So when when I got ready to publish that book, to me, there was no question that had to be the book cover. So that is Rick's artwork on the book cover. That is just awesome. I, I yes, didn't mention knowing Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really kind of excited because uh, not this weekend, but the 16th of February, Willie is coming here to Dallas, and I have a press pass for the show. Oh, how fun. Yes. So that should be fun. Yeah, and I'm going to take a copy of the book with me, and I hope to be able to put it in his hand. Way cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and, and that was the other thing about some of these, uh, some of telling this story is that I had to get permission from people like him to use his name. Mm-hmm. Because you can't just go and use their names without 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 getting permission, and you could be sued. So mm-hmm. I did have to go through some channels to get permission to add that part of the story, and uh, and I got it in writing because I didn't I didn't want to come back and have somebody go, oh, you didn't, you shouldn't have. Anyway, um, so yeah, <laughs> Willie is in book two. Well, that is just, that's just amazing. That is, okay, so then you mentioned that Rick was in prison. How long was he in? He was in for 15 years. Wow. That's a very, And he was in, uh, that's a very long time. He was, he was given, and, and, you know, people look at me when I say this, they look at me funny, like, yeah, right, everybody's innocent, but he was convicted for a crime he had not committed. He never went in a bank with a gun and robbed it. He should have been convicted as an accessory to bank robbery, but because he would not tell them what he knew, he got Texas justice. But again, you kind of go back and look at how it all stacked up, and he had created this bad boy image for himself, and they were happy to send him right on through and railroad him right on up. I, I can see that happening in Texas, yes. Mm-hmm. It was. He got Texas justice in 1971. And, that, and so he wound up with a 25-year federal sentence and a 50-year state sentence to, wow. serve consecutive, to run consecutive 75 years. Uh, wow. Run. A friend of yours just commented. Okay. Uh, Boris, 
he just made a statement on here saying basically you truly have turned a hard time in your life into something beautiful Circulating the mind between love and hate. It's a very thin line through the seasons, changing up the paradigm. I don't know, shot eight, but I know it ain't a crime when you're just doing you. Ain't speaking on taboo when making a breakthrough, chilling to stay cool. Reality don't make fools. I read books to study what the greats do. Some calling this a rat, but I'm lucky to get a take two. So I'ma do what I gotta to win. I lead the nonsense just blowing in the wind. Reflections. I deliver in another rhyme session, but at times had to learn a hard lesson. Now I'm living this life with these questions. Reflections, reflections. I deliver in another rhyme session, but at times had to learn a hard lesson. Now I'm living this life with these questions. Reflections, I've been through some trouble, caught up in the mix. It wasn't like a movie, but I'm changing the script. Not trying to live like a lost soul, stuck in Egypt. Hypocrites talk like Kathy Lee and Regis. Even Victoria cannot keep a secret. The evil is apparent. It comes around frequent. I listen to the haters. I give them the silent treatment. I stay focused just to live my life decent. I'm making my achievement to rise like a phoenix. On that I pledge allegiance knowing what I believe in. To do hip-hop, I finally found the reason. In harmony with my lyrics and artistry. My talent, I guess just another part of me. When I'm alone, I could turn on the microphone. What can a brother really say? Society is getting more like Rome each and every day. Reflections. I deliver in another rhyme session, but at times had to learn a hard lesson. Now I'm living this life with these questions. Reflections. Reflections. I deliver in another rhyme session, but at times had to learn a hard lesson. Now I'm living this life with these questions. Reflections. Staying within my element, focus on my development Sticking to my regimen, but dealing with a detriment Don't say this ain't relevant, the reality is prevalent The crooked system, been overlooking elephants My brain is the medicine, the struggle is evident Plus I got chocolate melanin Feeling like a situation's another experiment Making it hard for me to remain a gentleman Well let me rephrase that, a good Samaritan I got intelligence that I perfect with the excellence Making haters so sick, they need a therapist Gonna keep my head up, most definitely 
on it. No arrogance, but I'ma say there's no comparison to my flowing. Having all my fans knowing, we're back to the point, man. I gotta stay growing to get past the predicament that's ongoing. Reflections, I deliver in another rhyme session, but at times had to learn a hard lesson. Now I'm living this life with these questions. Reflections, reflections. I deliver in another rhyme session, but at times had to learn a hard lesson. Now I'm living this life with these questions. Reflections, reflections. I deliver in another rhyme session, but at times had to learn. And we are back with Ronnie Deshay. chatting a little bit during the break. Um, I hope you guys are all enjoying the show tonight. I told you this was going to be fun, and it certainly <laughs> is. <laughs> you know, I, I met Jan through a book club that we are both members of, Brave Reviews Book Club. I know I've mentioned it in the past. It is a phenomenal group if you're either a reader or a writer. Um, it's perfect for either of those circumstances, and that was where Jan and I met and how I first found out about her books, which let me do a little plug here real quick, Flowers and Stone, go on Amazon, look it up. It is an amazing book. It will You will just so totally fall into these characters, I guarantee it. I was quite unhappy when the book ended. <laughs> Even the one knew that there are more, and I plan to read them all, but it's still kind of like, you know, when your favorite TV series goes on hiatus, it's like, oh my gosh, you know. Oh, well, that's music to my ears. <laughs> okay, so when we went to break, um, Rick was in prison, and he was uh -huh. there for 15 years. How was that for you? I, I can just imagine the heartbreak of it all. You know, it, it was, again, you have to look at my age. And I was so very young, and he told me, he said, you need to forget about me. You need to get on with your life. You deserve a happy life, and you need to forget about me because I'm going to die in here. Those were his words. Wow. So I did try. I did try to, to move on with life, and I actually even got married. I married my friend, and once we were married, that friendship dissolved. <laughs> we should have just stayed friends. <laughs> um, so it was a short marriage, but um, I, uh, I did have two little girls from that marriage, Oh, which was really kind of cool because I got to bring that into our lives once Rick was finally, he was, he when he first went into prison, I didn't have any way to contact him. And it was through running into another lady that I danced with, and she was a, a friend of Rick's, that she told me she had his address. Well, I could not wait until I could sit down and write a letter, and I think I probably wrote at least 10 pages, and, and we started communicating, and it never stopped. We communicated through letters the entire time that he was in prison. Um, 
but uh, I did, I really did try to, to get on with life, and, and I tried many different things. The, the man that I married for the short period of time had a Harley, and that was truly my attraction to him, and that's what I was drawn to, because I, I felt like if, if I could rebel in some way against the establishment that had put Rick in prison, then that somehow made me feel better. So riding on the back of that Harley, I could feel like I could flip off the world, you know? <laughs> so I, I, uh, I did that, and, and I, I got heavily into drugs, and it was just a, an escape. It was an escape. So went through that period, and then... Um, and then I got introduced to a guru, oh. and that turned everything else around and completely cleaned up from the drugs and and um, followed the guru and was a vegetarian for 10 years and wow. lived that lifestyle. Just I just kept trying. I kept trying to find something to fill that void. I... And, wow. uh, there really wasn't anything. Well, you know, I mean, the heart wants what the heart wants. And when you know that's somebody that you need in your life, you just can't find anything else that will replace that. Right. Yeah. I, I tried it all. <laughs> I mean, heck, even with vegetarian, I'll tell you, kudos for that, girl. I could not. <laughs> I was a vegetarian for 10 years and, and lived in, in the, that, that, um, st that I, I guess you would call a hippie style of living, maybe, where I lived in communes. I lived in, with other people, and we were all following this guru and, and living these clean, healthy lives. And so, yeah, it, it just it was like all these extremes from one extreme to the other, from from being that that rebellious, trying to be a tough girl, and let me tell you, I have failed miserably at being a tough girl because I'm not. I failed miserably, but I put on a good front. <laughs> and um, you know, it, it just uh, it was all the and so I all of that. All of that journey of, of the separateness and yet not separate is in that second book, The Comic and the Rose, of trying to figure out how to live with half a heart. That, the way you just put that just says it all. I mean, I, I can totally feel what you're saying. When you say you were living with half a heart, I get it. Mm -hmm. That. Yeah, perfect way to express that. And not seeing any hope because there he all of the appeals had been exhausted. There was there was no hope of him getting out. And if he did get out where he was in Leavenworth, Kansas in oh, the maximum security here. prison. If he did get out of the federal prison, he would go straight to the state. 
So he kept turning down federal parole and refusing it because it was common knowledge that it was easier to do time in a federal prison than in a state. Gotcha. That conditions are worse in the state prisons than in federal. And so he kept turning down the, the parole from the feds because he didn't want to go straight to Huntsville. Well, Jan, wow. what has a, a choice to have to deal with, to uh, live with. Excuse me, yeah. Jan, uh, Jan Forrest has mm -hmm. a question for you. He stated, okay. what an amazing life, and why have you not been interviewed on other shows in the past? Many could learn oh, a have. lot from you. <laughs> I have, Forrest. I've been, I've been interviewed on many different shows, and I've been on television. And... Um, I, I mean, I tell my story anywhere I can. Any Anyone that will listen will hear my story. <laughs> it just depends on how much time they have. Um, sometimes I have to do a more condensed version, and, I, and this has been really fun, having, having time to just kind of ta casually talk. Um, but so, yes, in answer to that, I have been um, on, on many different shows. I am very glad that we got you tonight. <laughs> oh, I am too. This has been fun talking. Um, I, and and so from the second book, then uh, it moves on into the third book, and it and the title of that book was Home at Last. And so that was that book picks up from when he does finally get parole and what it came down to and and this is just kind of a a little reality check with our justice system is what it came down to of getting him paroled from the state of texas was money really that's all it took it took money and so i went into debt I, he he told everybody I bought him out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say money, was it you needed to pay for a good lawyer? It, yes, that's what it took, and and it was so funny how all that came about too, because you know life is so full of synchronicities and and things that you just can't you you, you can't foresee or even figure out how it happened, but. I had moved, I was living in Shreveport, Louisiana, and down the street was a little girl who played with my girls, and her mother was a very troubled woman, and and she would often come down and just and just sit with me. She she was she was full of troubles. I, I never knew exactly what was going on, but it was not good. And um, anyway, as it turns out, I was talking with her one day and telling her that, you know, we had tried all these different things and, and there were all these different people writing letters to the parole board and, and all, all this stuff happening to get him out of prison. And she said, my girlfriend in Austin is dating a man who used to be on the state parole board and he's an attorney. Let me talk to her. Oh, and so she did. 
and she came back the next day and she said here's his name and his phone number call him and I did and he I gave him the whole spiel told him everything from beginning to end and he said send me three thousand dollars and I'll get started so for three thousand dollars he got started and then we had to come up with another three thousand to finish Wow. But he got him out. And um, that was all it took. They just took money in the right person. I, yeah, I guess so. He knew yeah. how the parole board worked because he had sat on it. And right. that was helpful. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it was, uh, that was kind of a, a running joke that Rick would tell people that I, I bought him out of prison. <laughs> <sighs> well, that must have been some day for him. You know, it, it was, he, he talked about it, and he, he said he just kept being afraid that it was a dream, and he would wake up and still be in there. Wow. And, and after, um, when he was released, they, um, they offered to buy him a plane ticket. Well, he had never been on an airplane. He didn't want to do that. And so they bought him a bus ticket to come home. And he said the whole way on the bus from Kansas to the middle of Texas, which takes a while to get there. <laughs> he just kept, he kept checking his pocket and making sure he had his parole papers and, and just kept expecting the bus to be pulled over and, and police to, to get him. I mean, he just, he just knew that it, it wasn't real, <laughs> that something was going to happen that was going to get them back. Now, what year was he released? He was released in 1985. So he went in there about 1970. Yep. Yeah, that would be a totally different world. Oh, my gosh. And so the third book is all about that and all about that it was a very hard adjustment to come back. Everything was different. Um, the roads were different. In 1970, you didn't have middle turn lanes. <laughs> Everything was different. Right, right. Um, it was shocked at the cost of a loaf of bread. <laughs> Every, it was just, so yeah, that was a huge adjustment. It really was. And um, it, it was a good while before he ever even attempted to drive. I did all the driving. Um, it, it was just, I don't know, it was just, uh, it was hard. I, I, I can't imagine you know, basically being in a cell for 15 years, not being in a vehicle at all, and then now you're back right. out in the world, and yeah. not only are the cars themselves different, but the roads, like you were saying, the roads were bigger. Yeah, I everything. Heard traffic everything. probably seemed insane to him. Yes, yeah, for sure. And so I, I think it was probably very good that, he paroled to this small town 
and it, and the reason that he did was because it well it was where he was from and his mother still lived there and his brother and and so it, that, that was where he needed to go and and really that was where he needed to go it, it would have been very difficult for him to have tried to incorporate back into the world in a big town with oh, I can all, imagine. Of the, all of the rush and all of the yeah so that now, was the right he, thing to do. When he was in prison, was he still involved with music? Yes. Yeah, he was. And 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 that's all in book two. He actually built and and this is such a phenomenal thing to me because it, it's it's never it's never been done. It hasn't been done since and it was never done before. But he built a recording studio inside Levermore's prison. Wow. And he did it with no funding. Wow. He advocated for this. He advocated for it for years, um, trying to, to convince them that this would be good for the inmates, that there were so many inmates that were talented, that were musicians, that were writers, that, that it would be good for them. And finally, a new warden came through and was willing to take a chance. And and the way he did it was he wrote a song called From the Bottle to the Needle. And he said it many times that it was the only contrived song he ever wrote in his entire life. But he wanted to write this song and, and wanted to get it to the warden, wanted him to hear it, because it's all about how choices in life can really land you in some places that you don't want to be, and that 90% of the people in prison, it was behind alcohol and drugs that they were there, 90% of them. So anyway, he wrote this song called From the Bottle to the Needle, and, and he played it for an associate warden, and, and he liked it, and he said, let me set up a meeting. We'll get the warden, and, and you'll play it for him. So they did. And then after he finished playing the song, the warden said, I'm going to take a chance on you. I'll give you, I'll, I'll designate an area for you to use. You can build a recording studio we have no funding, we have nothing to offer you. So the convicts, being as resourceful as they are, literally took bits and pieces of tossed away electronic equipment and and things that had been discarded and thrown over in the corner, and they built a recording studio and recorded music in it. Wow, that's amazing. It is amazing. amazing. And, and so... I wanted to know for sure what happened to it before when I wrote The Convict and the Rose. And so I called the prison and I talked to the um, director of education and recreation. And he said, yes, there was a studio here. And he said it um, met its demise in 1986. So when Rick left, there was nothing there. There was nobody that had what it took to keep it going. Wow. I have one more question the here. Music, 
I have what? one more qu I have one more question if you don't mind. Okay. Um, first of all, Forrest made the statement that music therapy is still underutilized. More institutions I agree. should use it. And my comment is also um, there's a there's a, a therapy out there called art therapy. You very familiar with that? Yes, I am. And that's another one that is very underutilized. A lot of people don't have a lot of respect for that. Um, society doesn't respect right. it that much right. too, though. I think that's what one of the problems is. And I'm done. So you can go back to your conversation. That is, that is very true, though. What you just said is very true. And it was literally the way that Rick survived 15 years in prison and came out with his soul still intact was through art. He did all kinds of art, not just music and not just writing poetry, but drawing and learning to he learned to do oil paintings and and he learned to do indian beadwork and he did leather work and he made ceramics i mean just immersed himself into creativity and that was really the way that he was able to do that time and come out still a whole person he must have been the most incredible man I, I I just can't imagine going through what he went through and keeping his spirit intact, keeping his mind straight and, and you know, focusing on whatever he needed to focus on to keep him from going nuts in there. Right, and that was it. It was like there was when he first went in, he was very angry and very bitter. And he was determined that he was going to let everybody know that. And it, it took it took a few years for him to decide that he was not going to change prison and that prison was not going to change him. And he made up his mind that he was going to do his time. He was going to be a positive person. He was going to act and think and do positive things. And that completely changed everything from that point on. That was such a turning point. Mm -hmm. And that's what the second book really is all about, is that anybody in any situation can make that choice to either wallow in it and be negative and, or turn it around and find something positive to come out from it. And that's what he did. But it took a while. It wasn't easy. <laughs> and he fought it for years and, and spent a lot of time in the hole. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have to know, how tall was Rick? <laughs> he was six foot two. Okay, he was a big guy then. He was a big guy, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the other thing that I really haven't even touched on tonight because there's just so much to talk about but um, the other thing that I haven't even touched on is that when I decided to do the story and and to publish the books I decided that I also wanted to release a music CD of his music with each book that matches the time period of that story so the the music I released with the first book was music I took off of his 45 RPM records that he had made. 
and you can still hear some of the needle scratches, but we, we did the best we could to master it out in the studio and, and to, and, and it's, it's good, but you can, you can still hear those little bitty needle scratches if you listen close. And then the second book, the music I released with that one, this, every song on that CD was recorded in that studio in Leavenworth, except for the title track. Wow. And I, I call um, the, um, there was a, a, a song that I found in going through things that was called uh, 40 Foot High. And it was all about the walls. The walls were 40 foot high. And I had never heard him sing it. I didn't know how it went. I, I did not have any clue. So I approached um, one of the musicians that I know here and said, would you put music to this? And he said, yes. And we went in the restu into the studio here and recorded it. And, it was, and it's called 40 Foot High. But yeah, so all of the songs on that second CD were recorded inside the walls except for that one song. That's just incredible. So these CDs, are they, is there someplace I can go and buy them? <laughs> they're all, they're all on Amazon. They're on uh, I, uh, iTunes, Spotify. Um, they're everywhere music can be found, but they are all on Amazon as well. And that, you would just Amazon and, and look for Rick Sykes? Uh-huh, yeah. And it'll bring up every one of them. Awesome. <laughs> I, you know, I so that was the other part <laughs> that I hadn't even talked about, that I hadn't even touched on, was that I did release music. Because I wanted to, it, it was a way to kind of keep it, to keep it out there. Right. And not just let it die. Right. No, I, I, I get that absolutely. Uh, I'm glad that you told me that there is so much more that you can talk about because <laughs> we are kind of out of time for tonight, but I really want you back. <laughs> oh, I would love to. I would love to. This was fun. It was just, it was very relaxing, and it just felt like I'm just sitting here chatting with you. <laughs> That's kind of what we wanted, unlike when Greg and I are doing the show together. Then it is not always so relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, I'm going to thank you now. This was wonderful. I'm so glad you agreed to come on the show. I just, I have had so much fun talking with you tonight. I want to thank Doris for his comments and everybody else who was listening tonight. I'm so glad you guys were able to tune in. And we will definitely be bringing Jan back at a future time uh -huh. so that we can talk about her other books and more about this incredible relationship she had with Rick. Um, you know, I see bits and pieces on Twitter, you know, to do with your books, but I, mm -hmm. I really just was not able to know that much. And even reading Flowers and Stone only takes you so far into the relationship. So that's just the beginning. Exactly. <laughs> and and I do want to say too, really quickly, Ronnie, that I do have a website, which is uh, jamsykes.com. And it has all of the books, all of the music, um, has everything on my website as well. Awesome. And just to clarify, it's S-I-K-E-S, -E not S-Y. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's an I. Yes. So, okay, well, I'm going to let you go, and 
I just wanted to thank you again. This was wonderful, and I will definitely be hitting you up to come back. <laughs> awesome. And well, thank you, Ronnie. Thank you, and thank all of you listeners. And I'm going to turn it back over to Greg to close us out. Okay. Well, you just got through listening to Ronnie and Friends with Jan Sykes, well-known writer. And we'll be back in two weeks with another show from Ronnie and Friends. Until then, this is G.E. Shaw, and this is Mixar Radio Tonight. And this is It Don't Really Matter. Tipsy.
breakout music. It's Lagos Evil Boy. And you are listening to Jiggy Shaw. Mixed on radio tonight. And we just finished with Ronnie and friends. She will be back in two weeks with another show and another guest. Until then, you're listening to Gentlemen to Tipsy. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that group name right. If not, sorry. This is Gentlemen. Hello, this is G.E. Shaw once again. If you've been thinking about learning how to get into a new career dealing with podcasting, online radio, streaming radio, all the different names out there, you ought to try out my friends at Anchor. That's www.anchor.fm. They will, they give you the best of everything for podcasting, especially people who are just starting out. Unlimited free hosting, which means you don't pay for it. 
one-click distribution. And this one-click distribution gets you to all the major players out there. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, every platform out there. Anchor does all the work. Monetization for podcasts, something new that Anchor has just bought on. If you want your listeners out there listening to you, and they love listening to you, have them make a donation. That's Anchor. And you can record from everywhere. Anchor. www.anchor.fm Check it out. You won't forget it. This is Juicy Shaw. Mix our radio. See you later. Are you an independent musician? How would you like to have your songs played on hundreds of radio stations just like the one you're listening to right now? Join MusicSubmit.com and we'll promote your music to radio stations and blogs in your genre. It's free to set up your account and we guarantee your music will be considered for airplay by radio stations worldwide.